I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Hello, this is the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Hike Ballion, and I hope you are having a great summer. The China Sports Insider Podcast is on our summer schedule, so expect a new interview every couple of weeks. Today, Mark and I speak with Yonina Chan. Yonina is the women's division head of self-defense at Krav Maga Global in China. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to her is that she wrote a thought-provoking piece about that awful Tangshan incident from a couple of weeks ago. I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a lot, and I think you will too. We spoke to Yonina on WeChat audio from her gym. Tell us about your kind of your, I mean, you've been doing Krav Maga now for a while. Tell us exactly kind of, you know, briefly um, for, for people who don't know what it is and, and how how you got involved and uh, um, through your husband as well. Yeah. So just to give a bit of a background, um, Krav Maga, it's an Israeli um, self-defense and combat style. Uh, it's 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 one of the more practical combat styles. So basically, uh, no competition. There's no sport aspect to it. Um, there's there we do have you can right up in levels, but essentially it's meant to be like a very direct, very no nonsense uh, approach to like st- essentially street fighting and um, defending yourself. It's it's used by the military, the Israeli military. This is their main combat style. But now it's it's around the world. Like um, you, I from what I know is there are um, law enforcement um, security. Security and and even military personnel and departments around the world that have been trained in Krav Maga, and uh, there and apart from that, there's there's a civilian form. The main difference between the military and the civilian form is well, 
we don't kill people in the civilian version of Krav Maga. <laughs> we, we, we consider the legal aspect of, um, of self-defense. And so it's tailored to each country. So uh, if you, uh, how escalation of force is, uh, is used in each country, this, this matters to us. So it, it's, a whole, it's a whole system that includes like not just the physical skills, but just the situational awareness, um, the, 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 the legal aspects, um, and even like, uh, it includes things like practical, like a practical safety. That, that's, that's a huge part of it as well. You know, one of the big talking points in, in China, really, uh, in Chinese society over the last few weeks was this horrific incident in, in Tangshan that I'm sure many of our listeners will, will have witnessed where there was basically a brawl between uh, a bunch of men uh, effectively attacking some female diners at a restaurant uh, and some some pretty horrible horrible footage of that's been released and, and a lot of a lot of reaction to it you wrote a piece a uh, really good piece uh, uh, dissecting this in uh, in detail with, uh, and got some some pretty good pickup on that what stood out to you about this incident and the subsequent reaction online that Tangshan incident it was like the when the footage went viral it 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 hit the internet pretty hard um there was immediately a lot of reaction from netizens all over china you could see it on the jerhu forums you saw it like you saw commentary like the the commentary on douyin uh baidu Weibo. they were all there was a lot there was a lot and um a lot of people had very very strong reactions to it um when we saw the footage, actually, I'll, I'll, there's an interesting story that we actually didn't see it immediately. Um, we the the night the footage that was I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday evening. The night the footage came out, um, we. We, we had not seen it yet, but we started getting a lot of inquiries. People were adding our WeChat, um, calling us, and we usually when something like this happens, we're like, oh, something must have happened. So we checked the news, and then we saw all the 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 footage uh, about Tangshan. When we had a moment to review this, it was my husband and I. So he's the director of uh, of uh, Krav Maga here in like KMG Krav Maga Global. Uh, it's a it's a major Krav Maga organization. He's a director of it for China. I'm the women's uh, self defense um, division head, and uh, we both took a good look at the the footage. There, a lot of the reaction was, you know, this is gender-based violence, which in a way it is. But once we watch the whole thing through, it's it's very much representative of like being or group violence. And it's it's honestly it's a very difficult thing to deal with, extremely difficult. It might have started as like almost a women's self-defense situation because you see, you know, sexual harassment, you see um like a, a guy not being able to take a no and kind of going at a woman. But then when it escalates like this falls under the category of, of um, multiple attacker and and close quarter multiple attacker. It's it's very very difficult. I would we would almost venture to say it's like a more advanced situation that they were dealing with. To be honest, what do you mean by advanced? Like what made it an advanced situation? Okay, so when you start training any kind of defensive art, multiple uh, like uh, any kind of Krav Maga or any just not apart from Krav Maga, any defensive art. You first start with learning how to deal with one opponent. You usually start in a fairly open space and you start with maybe a few basic attacks. This one, everybody focused so much on, oh, when she was slapped, she should have done this. Um, When her hair was grabbed, she should have done this. 
on a basic level, yes, uh, there are defenses to slaps. There are defenses to hair grabs. What happened here is the context. So that this context was pretty much she had her back against the exit. So her so her back was like they were almost like their, their table was kind of against the wall. The attacker was covering the exit. And here's the thing. She thought probably she was dealing with one attacker, but very, very quickly the guy had friends and they started coming, coming in and attacking all of them. And um, there's a few things that make this advance. One is the fact that it's multiple attacker. What makes it even more advanced is that they didn't know it was multiple attacker. Um, the other thing is there are so many bystanders, but they couldn't tell who was a bystander, who was an attacker. It, it, it was almost impossible to tell. Um, especially at the start. And then the other problem that she's encountering is she has friends. When you're, when you're just defending yourself, that's one thing. But if you're actually dealing with um, multiple people, you're, you're, you're having to worry about them. So you run, fine, you defend the slap, you run. What about your friends? Are you just going to leave them to their fates? Is, is that how it is? So it's very, very complicated that way. And all, all, these, all these problems together, like it would be a fairly advanced situation. You know, you mentioned you were, uh, you're head of the, the female division for Crime from Gaza. So, so let me ask you, when you look at this incident um, and similar things to this, is this primarily, you know, attack and defense and what you do, or, or is it, you know, a male, female gender violence type situation? You know, can you separate the two things? How, how do you see that? Because there was a lot of commentary that I saw and, and some state media in particular, some, 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 some not particularly good stuff, uh, basically saying, oh, well, you know, we should all be appalled by this and, and, and trying to skirt over the issue of that this was this was clearly an attack of a group of men on a group of women. Um, when you look at this thing, how do, how do you separate those strands in, in, in something that is sort of so multi-layered like this? Here's the thing. Um, when you look at, like, to be clinical about it, there are different categories of violence. There's there is gender-based violence. There is uh, like group attacks. There there are um, predatory violence. There's like um, the, the monkey dance, you know, social violence. These kind of things. And there's definitely overlap between them. Um, while the situation, it's very clearly gender-based at the start. Um, it's a man harassing a woman. Uh, when it escalates, we look at it as a group violence situation. What does that mean? When we talk a lot about gender-based violence. And, and here's the tricky thing about gender-based violence. So you'd normally think of gender-based violence as things like, I don't know, um, domestic violence, sexual harassment, um, and more because like it's more reported that women or more known that women experience these these issues. In, in truth, like these are all we, we the way we look at it, all self-defense is male and female. It's just that the start or the escalation of certain attacks may be more specific to a, if it's a certain it's done in a certain way. It's most likely going to be women experiencing it, if you understand what I mean. So, for example, getting um, something like getting grabbed in the butt, for example, a sexual this is sexual harassment. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen to men. It's probably less reported, but it's more categorized as female or it's it's a women, a problem that women will will run into more than men. Just like we would say, like in the if it was a more guy problem, say it's a social violence situation where a guy 
sees another guy at a bar, says like, what you're looking at, da, 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 that kind of thing. You'd, it be, would be more a little more characteristic of men. So in this sense, when we look at how a problem starts or escalates, we look at, okay, this gender will probably experience this more. That gender will probably experience this more. But after that, where it goes is slightly different. So after that, we look at, okay, what type of situation is this? Is this a um, weapon attack? Um, is this a close quarter attack? Is this a group violence attack? So this one we qualify as uh, close quarter and group violence, which are two really difficult situations. Um, it seems to be completely empty handed, meaning there's no there was no. Well, we, we saw like um, found weapons. So they, there was a chair thrown around. There was a bottle thrown around. But it's essentially like empty handed attacks. They were punching and kicking her basically. So the attackers did not have weapons on them. So it was a multiple attacker situation in a close quarter environment with the extra problem of what we would call VIP protection or protecting a third party because she had friends with her. So if we look at it from a very clinical perspective, that's how we look at it. The start is it is gender based, but then it escalates to this whole thing. And looking at it as like looking at it just from the gender based perspective, um, it forgets so many things. And part of the problem is understanding violence here and the, the, the small differences between types of violence. It's not the understanding of violence is not as nuanced here in China. So you see a lot of people like when they make the commentary, it's very grouped in. Like, oh, it's this or it's that or it's this and that. You should have done this and it would have solved that, this kind of thing. If you know what I mean. So that's that's more of what that's more of the problem. Um, there, there, it seems it feels to me there's an attempt to understand this. But honestly, it, it fails on so many levels because there's no nuance at all in the discussion. So so let's let's add some of that nuance, Yunina, like, because because perhaps like I, I have to admit, like I, I, I started watching the video, but I couldn't couldn't finish it. I, I just couldn't watch. I just couldn't watch it. It was just such, so, so disturbing to me. And so what, what are we missing here? What, what, what is that nuance that you're talking about? You know, one of the things you, you brought up in your piece was this concept of, of, of victim shaming and how you wanted to avoid that. That's not what you're talking about. As you were watching that video, did you put yourself in the situation of those victims and, and what you might have, you know, what you might have seen um, that, that they didn't? Okay, so this is a very complicated it is, yeah. to answer this. It's very yeah. difficult to answer this question because, and we always say this, we get asked like, yeah, what would you do if that happened to you? And, and that question starts crossing over to what should, what should this woman have done? It's very, very, very important to not, like while we're trying to understand the situation and how to get away from it or how to avoid it, we don't say, oh, she should have done this, she should have done that. Um, and we shouldn't imply that she was in any way uh, at fault for what happened to her. That's what victim blaming is, essentially. Like, victim blaming is all about um, assigning part or whole of the blame to this woman for what happened to her. It is 100% the perpetrator's fault. You know, it's his, it's all on him. Um, we can't say, like, oh, this woman should have uh, realized it was a dangerous and not been there. This woman should have blocked that and ran it, rammed him and made it to the exit. You, that, 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 that's a very fine line. And we all, we all have to understand that 
line we shouldn't cross. It's, it's a very hard line not to cross, but we shouldn't. And um, it's very hard for most people to talk about what we should have done without crossing that line, without ending up saying like, oh, she should have done this, she should have done that. So that before anything, like it's really important to say like, she did the best that she could, given her level of training, given, which is probably none, given her um, her inability, inexperience with this kind of situation. That's what we have to assume, that she's never experienced this kind of violence before. So the level of shock was there. Victim blaming, there's a whole... There's a whole nuance and there's a whole there's that's a whole issue in and of itself um, here in China, Um, just because a lot of times when things happen to women, it's like, oh, because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. So you pissed off the man. And that's why this violence escalated. Like a lot of people are saying, like the way she shoved him off made him lose face. Um, Yeah. It, it did. It doesn't mean it's her fault. You know, like we 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 want to analyze it as clinical as possible. So in that sense, we're going to be like we, we, we understand that certain behaviors um, or certain things we do will trigger a response in the person we're dealing with, the attacker, the bad guy. It will trigger a certain response. We understand this, but we never say, OK, it's, it's their fault. It's the woman's fault for like rejecting him this way. Um, but we have to understand that uh, this response or this 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 way of speaking, this movement of the hand, this gesture, this will create that response. And that's why I say it's a very fine line in discussing this, because at the same time, we don't blame the victim. But we also have to understand the psychology behind um, violence escalation. You you make a really good point in the article, um, which I would encourage uh, everyone to read. And we'll, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes about you know what? What really is needed to prevent something like this? If if we classify it, you know, as as, as gender violence, you know, a sea change is needed. But that's not going to happen overnight. And so, a lot of what you're doing and, and others are doing is is sort of we're dealing with the realities of today and thinking, well, these things can happen. Let me just widen the conversation a little bit. Um, what's your take on sort of popular culture today and how this may or may not play into attitudes and and uh, and commentary as well. You know, I, I think uh, I, I, I see some uh, better representation of women in, in, for example, Hollywood. You know, there are more female superheroes. Um, you know, Disney characters are, are, are sort of, you know, they've uh, moved away from the sort of the delicate princess to kind of stronger figures and, and everything from that to action movies. You know, is that a help or a hindrance? And, and the reason I ask that, you know, it, does that give the impression that, um, you know, these superheroes can just kind of come in and, and, and overpower seven or eight attackers at will, uh, and, and sort of have unrealistic expectations. Uh, what's your view on, on that side of things? Well, it's definitely an improvement, um, that the female archetype has changed from the princess who needs rescue to, you know, the woman who can take care of things herself. That that's a, definitely a ben- better archetype, but, at the same time, here's the problem with anything, anything Hollywood or anything fiction. You're looking to make a story that has a that is easy to digest in an hour and a half or maybe one season. And you, there's a lot of you have to be a hero and you have to go through this hero's journey and how it's represented may not be as nuanced. Granted, there are better stories being told about women who struggle how it's not easy but at the same time the camera demands this beautiful fight where the hero wins even if you look at stories like atomic blonde 
um, Atomic Blonde is like very much a a like Charlize Theron's there her fights are not easy she gets beaten up pretty badly in those scenes and uh, but she still wins and she still looks very very cool doing it and um and again like uh, when she's in a group of people she knows exactly who's the bad guy who's the, who's the good guy who's the bystander that uh, those it's some so sometimes it's more of those little things that get lost in the mix uh, the the archetype itself is not so much the problem. Um, I I would like to think people are now more educated and not so um, easily like they're not so easily played by the fiction. You know, like this is what it is, and that's what real life is going to be. Um, we'd we'd like to think that, but what fools them are the details. So. I mentioned this in the article. Um, it was Vaughn who actually pointed it out. Um, my husband pointed it out. He's like, this is, this is exact the chaos of this where you can't tell what's going on and you're kind of lost and you're dazed. That is more common of a brawl than what you see in a movie like, say, Kingsman, where like the, the you have the, the central character, Colin, Colin Firth, I believe. Uh, he's like in the middle of this mess of a situation. He knows exactly who to attack, who not to attack. And it, it's always like this, right? It's always so, oh, this is the barman. Don't smack him. This is the waitress. You're not going to hit her. But but the reality is very, very far from that. You're, you're going to spend a good time like figuring things out. You'll see this in the Tangshan video. One of the things about this woman was um, right after her friend, at, like I think right after she she was not being attacked for a while and her friend tried to smack the other guy with the bottle and they were on her friend, she's standing by the table kind of dazed and the original attacker just walks up to her relatively slowly, grabs her by the hair, she doesn't recognize it's him, and then starts attacking her again. That's the level of confusion we're talking about, the what the hell is going on thing. That, I feel like the, the, those realities are more obscured by movies, and that's where the problem lies. It's, it's more that rather than the big archetypes of what women are, um, what superheroes are, what you can or cannot do. It's more of that, if you ask me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating, Yanina. And, and it, it's been so great to sort of broaden our, our usual horizons here. Uh, however, this is the China Sports Insider podcast. So I did want to ask you one more sport-related uh, question before you let you go. Uh, you talked earlier uh, about, you know, the differences between the street fighting that you try to, to help um you know, your people guard against and uh, when, when you do the training versus MMA and all the different combat sports, which have very clear rules, even if from a very, uh, you know, outside perspective, there could be similarities there. Talk a, a little bit about, about your views on, on Jiang Wei Li. I know you, I know you, you got some, some opinions on her and, and, you know, what she has done for you know, just the wider sector, whether that, you know, has that, um, uh, led to an increase in 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 your business in in Krav Maga, or, or maybe it's it's more to the to the MMA side. But but I, I do want to hear what what your thoughts are on on China's um, you know top MMA star and, and UFC star uh, Jiang Wei Li. She almost did what Ronda Rousey early on did for UFC uh, the women's division in China. She made. You have made MMA so much more mainstream than any of the guys did. Yeah, we, there, are, there were a lot of men that were her predecessors. And yes, they, they brought MMA a degree of fame, but not in the way that she has. She's, she's made, she, she's in a lot of gyms. You'll see her posters. You'll, her name is almost 
I would say she's as close to a household name as an MMA star can be in China. I remember like when the Tangshan incident happened, one of the comments was like, okay, if Zhang Weili was attacked, um, oh, I'm pretty sure she would have beaten up all those guys. I have opinions about that. But <laughs> that aside, um, she, she has done so much for this sport that nobody else has done. Uh, there are also other women um, like her in the sport. They, they're, they're, they're in the other, I think they're in other weight divisions in, uh, in UFC and some are in the one fighting championships, but none have shown, uh, no, no star has shown as brightly as her, at least not in the last few years. Whether this has translated to more women training MMA in general, uh, it's done quite a bit for the BJJ crowd. The Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's, there's more women there. There's a lot more women also in, in boxing and kickboxing, but they're more on the fitness. It has kind of uplifted the idea of combat sports as, some, as, a, as an option for people who want to do fitness. Um, but sparring, there's still very far and few women, very, very few women that actually engage in full-on sparring. Um, for, for us in Krav Maga, it's, it's not brought on as much interest. It's brought on more interest in, for the boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, BJJ uh, schools, they, they've gotten a lot more uh, benefit out of Zhang Weili's rise that, than we have. Uh, but in general, like um, the idea of women can being able to do combat has grown like uh, normal people being able to do this, that that's definitely that's definitely become something that more women think they can do. Again, that percentage in China is relatively small to the rest of the world. It's still very much a cultural thing where uh, sometimes boxing, kickboxing, even BJJ, it's seen as too manly. If you've ever heard the, the, the they say it in Chinese, tai menle, tai menle. like it's too, it's too mus- uh, masculine for a woman to do, or like, or they will call a woman who does this uh, like a nihanzi. So it's like, you're like a manly girl. It's still, yes, there's more women, but it's still not as mainstream as it would be. Um, Zhang Weili has more ignited people's pride in, you know, as, as their countrymen, as this. She's also incredibly humble and incredibly well-spoken. So it has a lot to do with why um, she represents so much of what they think a, a warrior should be. Uh, but directly to to get more women to, like, be serious MMA fighters, that's going to be a long way off. Um, uh, training, these kind of things, any kind of fitness. Fitness is still, I, I don't know how many people agree with me on this, but in our experience, fitness is still very much fad-based. A lot of people will do this or this fitness fad or that fitness fad. I think now it's, I don't know, fr- Frisbee and flag football is the thing. But there's always like, what they're, People swing between fads for fitness. So people, the number of people that actually stay and grow in the sport and develop in the sport outside of the actual athletes, you know, the ones that are that go on the national team, it's not not as many. So how many people become serious MMA fighters in the future that are female fighters? I, I, I wouldn't count on it growing that much, not in the way that it might grow in other countries in the West or in Europe or North America, where culturally um, it's a little more acceptable to do these things or it's something that you'd be proud of. Well, Yonina, this is, 
a really an eye-opening discussion and uh, really enjoyed it a lot. If somebody wants to learn more about Krav Maga and they're in Beijing, how, how would they go about it? How will they find you? Um, they can go to our website, uh, www.kmgchina, that's K-M-G-C-H-I-N-A, china.cn. Um, and they can find information there. Um, there's a WeChat uh, contact. There's, you can scan the WeChat uh, QR code there or or the phone numbers there and they can reach us. Thank you so much, Yunina. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Yunina Chan and thanks for listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast Summer Edition. Mark and I will be back with a new interview in a couple of weeks.